Hello and welcome to episode 123 of the Messiah Tech Podcast. I'm Joe, with me as always is Mitch. G'day. And we are continuing along with our A to Z. We've made it, I was about to say halfway, but my maths isn't great. I think it is about halfway. We've come to the letter J. And this week we are looking at the 1975 American thriller directed by Steven Spielberg, based on Peter Beachley's 1974 novel of the same name, Jaws. For the letter M, do we need to do mathematics? Do we? Okay. No, I'm asking for a friend. Okay. <laughs> if you can't work out what the middle of the alphabet is. But anyway, yes, Jaws. Just a little film. Not many people remember yes. it. It's it, an obscure film we no. want to talk to people about. Mm. Or maybe it's the first blockbuster. Well, actually, first summer blockbuster. It does get thrown around with that title quite a bit because obviously before 1975, they kind of didn't think that people really wanted to go to the movies in summer, especially in America. But this kind of proved them wrong, that people actually did want to go to the cinemas in droves. Yes, and did they ever? Yeah, so let's let's quickly jump into the plot of Jaws. So Jaws is a, like you said, a thriller. But we'll talk a bit about that later. It starts off with a shark attack killing a skinny dipper. And it goes on and they're on the, the town of Amity, which is in Long Island. It was meant to be Long Island. Somewhere like that. You follow the main character is um, Chief Brody, who's the chief of police on this Amity Island. Roy Snyder plays Chief Brody. And they sort of come out saying this. they found a body part. And it's like, oh, what, who, what did this? And it's like, oh, I think I might have been a shark. And they're going, well, we need to shut the beaches if it's a shark. And the mayor's like, no, 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 no. We've got the big summer, like 4th of July weekend coming up. This is our. This is when we make our money. We can't close the beaches. What are you talking about? No, that's no, fine. The coroner said, oh, no, it was a boat accident. Yep wasn't a shark at all and Brody not really convinced by this turns out it is a shark he's got this one-man mission essentially to try and prove it's a shark he's fighting City Hall essentially to say no we've got it we've got a killer out there we need to stop it and City Hall's like no we need the money we can't close the beaches until the big 4th of July weekend happens and a shark attack happens in front of everybody and what they did in the 70s which you wouldn't do now they killed the kid Mm. on screen not any kid that we knew but they killed a kid so that happened and Essentially, they go, oh, yep, it is a shark. And then he gets in an oceanographer, some sort of expert, played by Richard Dreyfus, A marine biologist, isn't it? Is that what he is? And he comes in and they end up putting a rod out to kill the shark. And everyone goes out crazy, all the fishermen and all that, go out trying to hunt it. They catch a tiger shark and they go, yeah, we found it, well done. And the marine biologist goes, I don't think so. It's not big enough. Look at the size of these bite marks and look at the size of this shark's mouth. It's it's not the right shark. Yeah, so they end up sneaking in and cutting it open to see if there's a, a young boy inside. And there wasn't. There was a number plate, which I always remember that, I remember that scene every single time. And they go, yeah, not this one. And then they go out looking because there was a missing boat and they go looking at it and they end up finding a severed head, which is a jump scare, which always like it's a it's capsized boat and there's a hole in it. And he's scuba diving, he's looking in and you're slowly going through and they look in the hole and then a sudden this severed head just sort of pops into the hole. And every fucking time I still jump, <laughs> even though I know it's coming. So they go, yeah, and he ends up finding a tooth in the boat and it's like it's massive and then he comes up because he gets freaked out by the severed head he drops the tooth you know what's name was in the boat um chief brody he goes up and says 
uh, no, it's it's a much bigger shark than that. I had a tooth wedge. I dropped it. Fuck. So they go and try and tell the mayor. The mayor doesn't want to hear anything of it because it's obviously because he's got no proof without the tooth. No, it's like you dropped the tooth. It's like yeah. So there's a, a few more murders, and they realise yeah, it's a bigger boat. There was um, a bigger fish. That's it's not really a murder. It's just a shark killing people. <laughs> no, so. sorry, shark having dinner. So yeah, another thing happens. So they go out there and they're like, yeah, there's a there's a shark. We got to kill it. They put the reward out again, and anyone wants to do it? Who wants to get get the shark? And they. Um, there's a guy called Quint, an old man of the sea. Played by Robert Shaw. Yes, who's fucking awesome. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. So they head out in his boat, the Orca, to hunt down this giant fucking shark because they worked out how big this shark should be. So it's meant to be massive. We're not. We're talking a giant shark. It's not your normal great white shark. It's bigger than normal, like a 25-footer. So it's not Godzilla size or anything like that, but it's big. And... Yeah, basically, if you haven't seen the film, that's where I'm going to stop recounting the tale because you should see this film because it's great. So they go out hunting the shark. Now, it's pretty simple in premise, but fuck, it's good. Mm. So Jaws is, like we just said, it was the summer blockbuster. Now, before then, they would throw movies out in summer that were sort of, like you said, the B-picture. Because it's summer. People don't go to the movies. They want to be outside in the weather, have good times. They don't want to be seeing in a cinema. But not when you make this fucking movie, which people went and they saw it. And they went back and saw it again. And they went back and saw it again. And essentially, yes. And that's when they can drop what they call your tentpole movies or your high concept movies. So the high concept is pretty basic, broad premise. This is fun. You know, a fun sort of movie. Not thinking too much or whatever. This is a great film. Don't get me wrong. But it is a popcorn film at the same time. So... I don't know if I would say it's a popcorn film. Like, it's not a rollicking, fun, good time of a movie. It's very much a a slow burn as far as I'm concerned. I watched this again a few weeks ago when we were leading up to the recording here. And there's a lot of the first movie that I didn't remember. And there's bits that I kind of thought were probably more pivotal than they are. Like, there's one stage where Brody's son is in one bit of water. And they, they think he's safe there because it's sort of a lagoon sort of area away from the main beach. But then when they work out that the shark can get into that, there's this massive panic of them trying to get to the lagoon to get the kids out of the lagoon. And at this stage, it's very tense in the fact that you don't really see the shark. It's just the fin coming out of the water. And it's a thriller. It's not a horror movie. It's not you know a gore fest at that stage. It's jump scares, as you said, and psychological thriller. And I kind of remember it being more action than it was. To me, it's a very slow film and it's quite a long film. It goes for about two hours. And of that time, you don't really see the the shark itself until probably two thirds of the way into the film, maybe even three quarters. But when you do see the shark, it's kind of like, well, yes, that's kind of worth it because Richard Dreyfuss is great. Roy Snyder's great. Robert Shaw's great. But the shark is the star of the movie, really. Well, it's... Spielberg is on this one. Well, yeah. Uh, and John Williams, big time. And Spielberg even says that as well. John Williams did the score for this. Actually worked on the Sugarland Express before this. Yeah. Because this was Spielberg's third film. He directed a pilot episode of Columbo and some TV before this. And he did the TV movie Jewel, which is fantastic if you haven't seen that. Yep. And then he made the Sugarland Express, which is a Goldie Horn uh, sort of a chase movie, which is actually quite fun. If you haven't seen it, it's quite good. So this was his next movie after that. And Jaws was was a movie that they were shopping around quite a bit for directors. And they had a few people in mind and it just didn't really happen. And, you know, Spielberg was this young up-and-comer and he asked about it. And they thought, oh, this could be cool. And even the guys who bought the rights to it, they read, this, they read the book, the novel that came out. And they go, oh, this is great. We're going to make this. And they said they probably wouldn't have made the movie if they read the book twice. Because 
realised okay. how hard it would be to film. Yeah. Because it is filmed on the ocean. This is actually the first film that was actually filmed out in the ocean because just technology-wise and cameras and setups and all those sort of things, it was just too hard. So they always would use sound stages or affinity pools or yep. anything like that to, to, to fake it. Like you, you look at old movies and you can see the, the backdrop is quite famous. Like if you see The Truman Show where he walks out the door at the end, that's essentially a the backdrop at Universal Studios where they film a lot of this stuff because they can. And it's cheaper and easier and less problems. And that's what they found with this movie because this film took was meant to film for 55 days. It took 159. Yeah, and that's a lot of time to be out on a, on an ocean because obviously you're not going to just be paying cameramen and stuff like that. You're going to be paying all of the, the crew to get the boats out there for the cameras. Well, there was, I mean, they had to come up with technologies. The cameramen had to come up with rigs that would work, you know, with the with the undulations of the waves and stuff like that, how it could be secure. The things didn't work, lighting, weather, all these sort of factors just make things hard. And they always proved like Titanic and Waterworld, two other movies set in Titanic probably didn't have a lot to do on the water, probably used a lot of special effects more, but still a lot of movies, they did well in the end, but they were all like, oh, don't film on the water. It's bad mojo. Yeah. So it, one of the other things that were going to do with this movie was the shark like you said was the star of this movie and they had all these special effects and came up with different technologies so they could have this giant robotic shark there was one that would be dragged along the ocean that was gutted from the bottom but you could see it from the top left and right there was one that was all the mechanics and that so it was gutted on the left hand side so it could be filmed from the right and there was another one that was the opposite so it was yep. you could see it from the right but everything else all the mechanisms and all that from the other side and pretty much the first time they put it in the water it sunk Everything about it didn't work. It yep. just They called them Bruce was the name of the shark, hence why in Finding Nemo, the shark in that, Barry Humphreys, who yep. does the voice, he's called Bruce, which is a nod to Jaws. And yeah, pretty much it just didn't work. They failed. It just would get caught up. And yeah, just the filming took forever because of this, because the sharks weren't working. They had to work around it. And also Peter Bensley, who wrote the novel. Sorry, I'm talking a lot on this podcast. He wrote the original script for this and wasn't very good. In the in the novel, there was a lot of other things going on, like the Richard Dreyfus character had, a, and had, a, had an affair with Brody's wife and all this sort of stuff. They took all that bits out. But Spielberg got one of his mates on board who cast him as one of the, an act, like an extras role in the movie. Yeah. But he also was a bit of a, a writer himself. So he actually came on board as the writer and they were rewriting the movie pretty much every night and rewriting for the next day. So the original script was one thing, but they were on the fly rewriting it as they went. Well, because the, there is a, a few bits of the plot that kind of don't really go anywhere. They make a big deal at the start that Brody's come from, I think it's like New York City, and he is really not a beachy type person. And he makes reference a few times how he doesn't like the water, but they never really go in depth about why he doesn't like the water. Yeah. And then there's another subplot in the in the novel where it's very much the class struggle between the working class fishermen that want to just go out there and do their jobs and catch the shark and sort of the rich kids that want to come to the beach and party for July 4th sort of thing. But they don't really touch on that much in the movie either. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think it's good because it's a much more efficient movie in that way. And you say it's kind of boring and I get that compared to a modern blockbuster now, there yeah. is. Yeah, it has that real 70s feel of, of that sort of long slow burn which yeah. you don't you don't really get in movies now no 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 you wouldn't put up with it but yeah so because they were rewriting the script as they went because the sharp kept failing and weather and all these sort of things so they sort of just changed tack so the 55 day shoot like i said blew out to 
three times as long. And they said, well, we can't film the shark. And the shark was going to be front and center. It was going to be the very first scene where the girl skinny dipping was gets taken by the shark. That was going to be seen. So you were going to see it throughout the film. Okay. But because it didn't work, they had to film around it. See, that would make for a very different film. It would make it more of a horror film. And this is the beauty that, thank God, Steven Spielberg is Steven Spielberg, and it wasn't some other director. They, on the fly, they decided, oh, let's do something like The Thing from Another World or Creature from the Black Lagoon gets used the, the perspective of the camera as the shark. Yeah. We'll delay it. We won't show it. Up the tension using that. So it's a, it, instead of just being a monster or horror sort of film, it became a thriller. Yeah. Because you didn't see it. And this is where John Williams comes in who did the score and the very iconic theme Durnham 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 and it was just it's perfect yep. two chords or two notes however you want to put it and that builds the tension slow you hear that tune you know the shark's there yeah as it gets quicker it's getting closer and it's just great I mean it and Spielberg admitted that it wouldn't be half as successful without John Williams score <laughs> so there's just so many things happy accidents that make this work the shark didn't work, so he had to be the fa- thank God. Like I said, he is Spielberg. Yep. He did the right thing. He filmed it well. He turned the shark into this menace. And he goes, it probably would save the film as well because I mean, it still looks pretty good because it wasn't a sheep, but it is a rubber shark. Yeah. If we'd seen it throughout the movie, it would probably look very fake and bad. It would be just a fun horror movie, hmm. essentially, exactly. as opposed to this classic because we didn't see the shark enough. Yeah. So therefore, it was a real menace as opposed to yeah, it's a really nice special effect. Hmm. Yeah, and that would have been all pretty much practical effects back then too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it would have been obvious. Yeah. To the modern eye. Back then, probably wouldn't have known, but still, it is. It's because the, the skill of Spielberg being Spielberg, he turned it into something special. The music is iconic and incredibly special. And the acting that they got in, he made this movie, like I said, it was a big budget film. They got him on board, and so they wanted to throw big name actors at it. Yep. And he sort of thought, saying, all right, I'll have some actors. But they wanted people like Charlton Heston was actually in there to play Quint. They would like that. And he goes, no, no, it's too big a name because it's bloody Moses. For fuck's sake. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you, you don't want that. And that's why Die Hard works as a film because you've got John McClane's an everyman. Yep. He doesn't look like Schwarzenegger. Yeah, exactly. He looks like just an average policeman. Yeah. But the last movie is ridiculous. But, but that first one, it works because he seems like an everyman. Yeah, they were like, good actors that they chose, but they were sort of very much everyman. Yet he's gone and made War of the Worlds, you know, 20 years later, and Tom Cruise is an everyman, and it just doesn't work. No. Tom Cruise is not an everyman. He's no. a great actor, yeah, but he's not an everyman. You don't picture him as being like a, a crane operator, tradie, or whatever he is in it. No, and that's, that's where it's like, oh, you've you've changed, Stephen. You've changed. Well, you say it was a big budget, so it, but the budget was $9 million back in 1975, which is a hell of a lot of money, but it did make $472 million in the box office. Which is a ridiculous amount of money. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So they obviously did something right. But like I said, people didn't go back, especially in summer, to see it again and again and again. And this is a movie that they did. Yeah. Also, I mean, it had quite an effect just in the world culture as well. Not only did it invent the summer blockbuster, it also created a fear of sharks. Yeah. People noticed like a decline of people going to the beach for a couple of years afterwards. And also fishermen went out and killed a fuck ton of sharks, which, um, you know, conservation was like, thanks. And Peter Benchley even actually said, if I knew this would have happened, I wouldn't have written the book. Yeah. Because, I mean, there is this massive fear of sharks because of this movie. 
I mean, sharks have been around, obviously. They're in stories and around, but this is a movie that cemented them as a big bad and something you should be scared of. Yeah. I mean, ironically, I'm saying, you know, more people die from something, I forget, more people die from coconuts falling on their head than from shark attacks every year. That is a fact. I don't know where it is, but I've heard it. <laughs> Must be true. Yep. Saying that, someone did die of a shark attack on the news today. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm not laughing at this person dying, but it's just like, yeah, okay. So it's actually not that common. Sharks don't eat people generally. No. It's all generally a mistake. It's either a sick shark that can't catch food and they'll take what they can. They'll mistake someone in a wetsuit for a seal because generally they'll bite and they go, no, nah, I don't like the taste of this neoprene and leave you go. Yep. Or there's blood in the water and there's a frenzy, then obviously... Yeah, exactly. You're pretty, you're pretty fucked. But generally, sharks do not want to eat you. And there's not 25 foot of great whites out there hunting people down, as opposed to the sequels of those movies yep. where they do. They want revenge. Yeah, so it's just a corker of a movie, and we'll sort of go into why soon. But it got sequelitis. Yes. Because it was popular. You know, this was a huge film. It was popular. It was massive. So naturally, you want another one. Spielberg didn't come back because he was committed to Close Encounters of a Third Kind, which is his the movie he really wanted to make. So it was very much a 70s sequel. But I've got to tell you personally, I probably have seen Jaws 2 more than Jaws 1. I, I would agree with that because going back and re-watching Jaws 2, there was just so many more bits of Jaws 2 that I was expecting in Jaws 1 and I was sitting there going, ah, so that's from the second one. <laughs> like the whole bit of Roy Sider running down the beach shooting and going, get out of the water, get out of the water. I was expecting that in the first one, but that's actually in the second one. Because, I mean, I saw this when I was probably younger than I should have. Yep. We taped it off the TV, so I actually had Jaws 2 on tape. So so it's something I would watch repeatedly. I love Jaws 1. I've seen it a bit, but I saw Jaws 2 more. And it's actually got the bigger body count, I'd say. Yep. And it's much more that thrill ride, more more shark, because they probably learnt a lot from the first one, how to film it yeah. and how to make the shark work. Bigger kill count. Uh, everything was ra- ramped up. So you still had Brody being the paranoid chief of police. Yep. But his kids were older now, and the shark had come back. It was obviously not the same shark, but did it have a scar on it, didn't it? I think it did, yeah. Yeah, but it's not, I don't know what the scar meant, but it's not, it's not like it's the shark from before because that one definitely died. Yep. You saw that. Yeah, so it just, yes, yeah, so just a quick premise. Essentially the same thing. There's shark attack again. He's all paranoid. No one believes him. His son and a bunch of their friends go out rafting and they have to raft together and the shark attacks the raft. Yeah. All of them. And they're stuck out there and he goes and saves them. And instead of blowing up the shark, he makes him bite down on an electrical cable. <laughs> I just uh, it did eat a helicopter as well. It was cool. I, it's so I, fucking awesome, this movie. As a kid, this was so good. With the, the helicopter with its like floaty pontoons on it when it tries to yeah. land in the water and the shark just jumps up and bites it and pulls it down. Yes, powerful shark that can pull a helicopter out of the air. Oh, I was... It was in the water at the time. But it's just cool. I, I loved it, and I still do, and that's pure nostalgia. I'm sure if I watched it now for the first time, I would have issues. But for the longest time, that was the one I'd seen the most yeah. and the one I remembered the most. And had it been a long time since I'd seen Jaws until I went back and saw it at the Asta a couple of years back. See, I, I'm very like, jealous because I've never seen it on the big screen, and I think it would be better to see on the screen. It's fucking amazing. It blew me away. It's like, oh, yeah. And 81 cinema meter tv just does not do it justice because that's how i saw it so many times so it was just your generic sequel hunter sort of you know halloween or slasher movie plot where the shark is the slasher after the teen kids and you get them at the end 
So there is two more sequels after that. There's Jaws 3D and Jaws for the Revenge with Michael Caine. Now, I have seen Jaws 3, but I can't remember it. No, I don't remember it at all. I think I've seen it in the early 80s. I think it's got Dennis Quaid in there. It does, yep. And yeah, Jaws of Revenge, I don't think I bothered with in the end. No. And I think it was like the revenge. I think this was the son of one of the sharks that followed the mum to Bermuda to kill her. So they are very much the slasher sort of movies after that. Yep. But going back to that first one. Now, all right, so you, when did you see it? I really can't pinpoint when I did see it. Obviously, I didn't see it in the cinema because it came out in 1975 and I would have been four years old. I do remember seeing it while I was probably in either late primary school or early high school. So probably around sort of 1980 sort of time, I think. Yeah. I can't remember exactly. I thought I'd seen it a few times, but I don't think I have seen it as much as I thought and purely watching them again now I think like you I've probably seen Jaws 2 more than I've seen Jaws 1 yep. as I said I don't remember it being as long and drawn out from when I was a kid so whether I didn't watch it all in one hit when I was a kid and I, I was flittering in and out as you do when you're a child but I don't know but watching it again now I can appreciate the slow burn of it but I don't think I would have sat there for two hours as a child and watched it I definitely saw Jaws 2 when I was in high school because I can remember getting it on video and watching it a few times and then like as, as you said having a copy myself so obviously we either dumped it off or, or somehow but maybe we taped it off the tv as well but we we did have a copy and i can remember watching jaws 2 a lot more and interestingly when you say jaws 2 the fact that it is slightly more sequelized it's also kind of falls into that cliche a little bit of stereotypical nerd kids and the cool kids and the cool kids wanting to go and do the stuff and the nerd kids kind of getting left behind because there's two characters with their bowl cuts and glasses that are yep. a bit let down by the fact that the, yeah, the cool kids are getting the girls to go out on the boats with them and they're like, well, you know, no girls want to go with me. But then there's the nerdy girl that does go out on the boat with them. And yep. So yeah. It, there's a lot of tropes. Yeah. Oh, very much a lot of tropes. And I do like the fact that he's still... Roy Scheider's Brody character is still reeling from what happened in the first movie. And it's kind of like the town's kind of forgot and they're moving on, but he keeps bringing them back going, you know, never forget what happened with that other shark and these people died yeah. and stuff. So I, I do like that about the second one. I still dig it for what it is. On revisiting the first one, I forgot how good it was. Well, I never really appreciate how good it was because it's like, you know, when I watch a lot of movies when I was a kid, it's like it had a cool car or a good action scene or an explosion or something that made it cool. I didn't, you know, and that's why Jaws 2 had the kill count. Yeah. You know, lots of stuff going on and it was a quicker pace. Like I said, it wasn't that slow burn. They didn't need to build up to the shark because we'd seen it in the first one. So it was like, let's just get to the killing. But looking back and going and watching the first one again for the first, you know, for the first time in years, I didn't realize just fucking how good it was. Like, one, the performances. Richard Dreyfus is great. Yeah. So much better. And Quint is phenomenal. Yeah. Like Robert Shaw playing a salty old sea dog. And when they go out hunting the shark in the end, they, they get drunk at night. Yeah. Just in the boat and just talk and they're singing songs and doing all this. And it's, just, it's not what I picture in this horror movie because I'm so used to part two. Yeah. Where it's a slasher movie. The music that's so iconic, that dunum, dunum, that's what you think of the Jaws music. But what it is, when they first go on that boat to hunt that shark, it's an adventure movie. Like the music swells up and they're going on an adventure and all this. And it's like, okay. I totally misrepresented what the movie was in my head. Yeah. Because I just thought it was a, a slasher movie like Jaws 2. But no, it's an it's a boy's own adventure movie. It's a Hemingway sort of adventure like Old, Old Man, Man in the, the Sea. sea. Yeah. It's, it's very quint with his dogmatic, I'm going to get this fucking shark that's straight out of Moby Dick. It's 
there's so much going on. So it's it's a slow burn, like you said. So they're hunting this shark. They get in a boat. They're going out there. And then it stops. And they're sitting around a table, talking, drinking, comparing scars, singing sea shanties. It's great. Yeah. Then the moment. This is... This is a fucking moment. Quint tells a story that he was on the Indianapolis, which is a US warship in World War II. They got scuttled. All the, the sailors ended up in the water. And one by one, lots of them got took by, got taken by sharks. Yeah, sharks just came along and picked them off. Because <laughs> they were waiting to be rescued. And he tells this story. He's one of the survivors. And fuck, it's amazing. Yeah. Just hearing him tell that story is just fucking great. Now, there's a whole lot of things. Like John Milius came in on board and he wrote some script for this. Robert Shaw himself said he wrote some of it. The script writer said some of it. The script writer himself said, Milius said, fuck all to do with it. Most of it's Robert Shaw. But because um, Robert Shaw was a um, playwright in his own right, so he knows how to tell a story. And I think he was actually in the army himself or Navy. So, you know, there was a lot of stuff to draw from. Yep. But that scene is just so good. If you just want acting and emotion and and all this sort of stuff. And you would not see that in a modern blockbuster now. No. A movie would not stop to have men just talk. <laughs> you know, it just doesn't happen. Yeah, and that's what makes it so different to a modern day blockbuster now. It's such a 70s ideal. But yeah, that is what makes it, yep. you know, this almost perfect film through. It just happened. You know, that was not in the original book. So it was all written on the fly. They got the actors involved to write these sort of things. And apparently, like I said, they had this actor on board who was rewriting every day. They would go out to dinner every night and just workshop stuff. Yep. And the next day they'd film it. So that's all this sort of stuff just happened. And it's just the happy accidents of having the right people together the score is done by john williams perfect he just nailed what it needed to be done it could have been a horror theme it could have been a generic adventure theme but he he did something that was perfect someone else could do something equally as good but it just worked hmm. you know that indianapolis scene you could easily that would not fly today producers would not let that shit go in you know if you're someone like a um, tarantino or something with a bit of clout yeah you might be able to get away with it but not if you're making you know michael bay's making transformers five you're not going to stop for five minutes and have two people talk like that it's just not going to happen no. that's the sort of stuff that just is so good in this movie yeah so the music the fact that yeah revisiting it that scene blew me away again which i knew it was there because i remember it because me and my cousins used to sing the show me the way to go home song all the time oh, so yeah. it's not like i forgot it but just the the impact was so much more in the revisit and seeing it on the big screen just the vista like you're on the boat and just seeing how big everything is and this was spielberg wanted that's why he wanted to film it out in the ocean he didn't want it to look like a soundstage. He wanted it to look like he was out in the ocean. And I mean, when he when he says filmed, it was not that far out. It wasn't like he was miles and miles out from the ocean, but it was enough that it looked, you know, it looked like they were out there. Exactly. Yeah. So it just felt special. And boy, does it ramp up. And the first time you see that shark is so impactful. Such an iconic scene with an iconic quote because they're throwing churl. Is it churling? Churling. Is that when they throw, yeah, throwing all the shit out in the you know, guts and blood and all that in the water to try and attract the sharks. Yeah. So Brody's just, you know, spooning this shit out in the water and looking the other way and you're not expecting it because it's not, it's not led up to with music. It's not like, oh, something's going to happen. He's just not looking the other way and up, jumps a giant fucking shark yep. <laughs> out of the water. It's like, what? And he turns around. It's like, and it's great. He's got the cigarette in his mouth that just hangs on his lip and he's just the big eyes. And it's like, what the fuck? He turns around and goes, we're going to need a bigger boat. And it's just fucking great line, great delivered, awesome scene. And that's when the movie just hits its high tempo. Yeah. And it becomes the adventure film. Like the music swells. No one talks about that side of the music. They always talk about the da dum da dum But when they start getting in the chase, because it becomes a chase film. And again, they, so to talk about the movie, they shoot the barrels. They've got a, airfield barrels 
and they shoot these harpoons into the shark to try and tire him down. So he can't swim underwater. He, it, yeah. can't swim underwater, so it tires him out and he'll eventually get tired and they can catch him. Yeah, when I was a kid yeah. and I saw that, I, I didn't really understand what they were doing. But obviously, it's the equivalent of putting weights on someone out of the water. The fact that these yes. barrels are floating and will encourage him to come up to the surface, it means he can't dive down as much. Or she, yeah. it, the shark can't yeah. dive down. Yeah, so it, it, and they can keep track of it. Yeah. Again, this was another thing because the shark failed. This was a visual representation of where the shark was. Mm. Perfect. I mean, it's just so many things that came together and make such a visual thing. I've actually got a Hallmark keepsake Christmas decoration of the Jaws shark, and it hangs on my tree, and it's got the shark, and it's got the three barrels hanging <laughs> off it at the top. And you push a button and you get the dump thing. It's really cool. It's just visually it's so good and you don't need to see the shark to convey it. And when you do see the shark finally, and we're talking, like you said, three quarters of the way into the movie is when you see it properly. It makes a much bigger impact than if you saw it from the first scene. Hmm. So it's just, yeah, it's just so good. And yeah, so my memory of it, I always seem to remember of seeing it. I don't remember seeing it for the first time. Like I said, I knew it, but I hadn't really watched it until I was older, thank God, because yeah. I really got to appreciate it by seeing it on the big screen. Mm. So it's just so damn good. And obviously made a fuck ton of money, as you said, $400 million. A lot of movies would like to make $400 million still nowadays. Definitely. Especially on an outlay of nine. But not only did it spawn a sequel, or a couple of sequels, it spawned a lot of, what, what would you call it, copycats? Yeah, probably. Legacy, it says on Wikipedia. Yeah. So the giant animal movie. So uh, I suppose disaster films were a thing in the 70s. You had the airport movies. Yeah, Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, Earthquake, a lot of Irwin Allen sort of movies where it was sort of like yeah. disaster film. The spectacle. So you had your big movies, I suppose, the 60s and 50s. You had your Bible epics, your Ben-Hur's and your The Robe and the Bible and those sort of movies, Ten Commandments. And then those movies became your disaster film. Obviously, one was popular, so a bunch came out. Then Jaws happened, and then it was just like, yes, giant animals are a thing. So after that, there were lots of other movies. Wait a second, where is it? Looking for them. It's a list but- just while you're looking for that, something that probably comes to mind for me would be Orca, which came out in 1977. Yes. And I think I have seen that almost as many times as I've seen Jaws 2. Oh, really? Yeah. I okay. Can, I can remember going through early high school and Orca was my go-to horror movie. Oh, okay. Because I, I remember it. I don't think I ever saw it. Yeah. I've probably still got a copy floating around somewhere, probably an illegal oh, okay. dump of it. But yeah, so that's yeah. about it. Yeah. A killer whale. Killer whale. Doing the same thing? Pretty much. It's like a, a killer whale trying to kill a fisherman type dude and it's the battle between them. And then the big twist in the end is when he kills the killer whale, he finds out that it's pregnant and it's just trying to protect itself and go and have its baby peacefully and humans fuck up its existence, really. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. So it says here that there were some of the films that came out was Grizzly, which was a giant grizzly bear. Yeah. Mako, The Jaws of Death, which catching it on the sharks again barracuda alligator now i remember alligator fondly because that was where it was a pet alligator thrown down the flush down the toilet flush down the toilet and some sort of radioactive waste made it grow giant and just killing people in new york it was great i like yeah that was that sort of the slocky horror film that i watched as a kid often day of the animals 
Tintorera and Eaten Alive. And probably the most famous of the ripoffs and successful is Piranha, which was directed by Joe Dante, who did Gremlins and yep. a bunch of other films. And, you know, that's the thing. In the 80s, I was so scared of quicksand and piranhas. Like, they were a real threat. In the same way Jaws made people think that sharks are real threats, I thought quicksand and piranhas were too because of these sort of fucking movies. Yeah, but they did kind of have a resurgence of that sort of giant animal, disaster animal, whatever you want to call it, later on in the in sort of 90s, early 2000s because we saw Deep Blue Sea came out and that's about genetically altered oh, sharks. smart sharks. Yeah. yeah, and people hiding in ovens to save themselves when the submarine gets flooded, which is a terrible concept. Yeah. Um, and then obviously we had the Anaconda movies, which is a giant rubber snake and John yeah. Boyd. And then even and just, had the Meg. I yeah. was just saying, yeah, just recently we had Jason Statham in the Meg, which I still haven't got around to watching. But apparently, by all accounts, that's not a bad movie if you want a schlocky sort of action. Yeah, movie. and they're making a sequel, so it must have done something right. Because mm. I remember they were talking about the Meg ages ago. Oh, do you remember the old days of the internet when you had to dial up? Mm. And there was a thing called the Hollywood Stock Exchange. Hollywood Stock Exchange. Yes, I do remember that. Yeah. And you basically, it was great. You got given this seed money and you could invest in movies or actors or directors. And depending on how popular the movies went, you got return on investment. Like it was not real money. It was just this whole virtual thing. And you sort of put money in a movie and if it did badly, then you lost. It was great. It was a lot of fun Hmm. and following on. I wonder what and my I, Dwayne Johnson stocks would be worth. Well, that's the thing. We we both <laughs> invested in Dwayne Johnson back in the day because we were big wrestling fans and he was going to be in the Scorpion King. So let's go buy, put our money in him. So I put money in him and a little Aussie actor who just got cast as Wolverine, Hugh Jackman. So I reckon if it was still running and I could still find a login, <laughs> I, would, I would have some decent coin. Yeah, I remember back in those days, I invested in a movie called The Meg because there was a, a book called The Megalodon about a prehistoric shark that was going around killing people. We're talking we're talking late 90s. So it took a long time to get this movie made. I heard about it a lot. They yeah. were talking about, oh, so they're going to they're make The Meg. They're going to make The Meg. They finally did, and I didn't really care. But I was excited 20-something years ago. Yeah, so the, the, the killer movie... You know, it, it started a genre. It started the blockbusters. Yep. It, it's, it's just so damn important and so damn good. You know, Spielberg is good. Like, he's been good from the start, pretty much. It's not like, oh, yeah, you watch his early stuff going, oh, this guy, you know, he got better. No, he was good from the start. Have you seen Jewel? Yes. I, I've actually seen that at the cinema. I saw that at the Astor. So, yeah. yeah. And you could sort of say it's a similar sort of movie. <laughs> it's just, instead of a shark, it's a truck, but still, it's, it's that every man up against a force that just doesn't, can't reason with. Mm. Yeah, so that was his first TV movie, which is good enough to be shown at the at the Astor. Like you said, it's, it's that good. And then he went on and made Close Encounters after that. So he had a good run. He's done all, done all right for himself. Yeah, he's okay. And then after that, I think, is when he made 1941. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Everybody <laughs> was on it. It was the loudest movie I've ever seen. It was just crazy. It's pretty damn good. And important, and that's why he shouldn't have directed Ready Player One. Exactly. Because we've talked about that in the past, where it's like, no, you created pop culture. You can't mine it. You were never there. You don't understand. that Ready Player One is such a iconic film based on nostalgia, absolute nostalgia. Yeah. The problem is Spielberg created all that, so he never experienced it, so he, he doesn't know what he's tapping into. And that's why there was a bit, obviously, he really likes Kubrick because he made AI, AI with him. So he went and did the big Shining homage in the middle of it, which was which never in the book. Which is not in the book, no. No, but it's like the book is such an 80s book. Like yeah. all the references are 80s. 
Yeah. So Spielberg goes and makes, you know, a big love letter to Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, which is 1980, which makes it a 70s film for me. Yeah. And just not the same thing. <laughs> it's just like, that's not the vibe. He just doesn't get it because he was, he, he created all this nostalgia. He never really felt it. His nostalgia is for the creature from the Black Lagoon and the thing from another world or Godzilla, which is essentially what made him make Jaws. These were the things that inspired him to make the Jaws film. He shouldn't have gone on and made Ready Bloody One because he didn't get it. No. Why I always go on that brand. I'm sorry. We're talking about yours here. Oh, but we're talking about Steve. Yeah. But yes. Oh well I think that's that's enough. I'm the one I'm gonna to go to shit on Ready Player One even more if I don't. So let's just stop now. Yes. Acknowledge that Spielberg was good, is good, will be good again. West Side Story will tell us that. But I I adore this movie. I mean it's it's not underrated by any stretch of the Oh, definitely not. And it, it's not. <laughs> it's definitely cemented its place in pop culture because you know, anytime there's a shark in anything, you will hear that darn it, darn it. Yeah. And there's that Jaws reference. And the line, you're going to need a bigger boat, comes up in lots of things as well. And a lot yep. of people don't even realize that's from Jaws. It's, yeah. And mm. it's funny that you say when they cut the shark open and the license plate falls out, that was probably the thing I remember most as a kid from watching Jaws as well, that sharks will eat license plates. But, <laughs> and watching it again now as an adult and they kind of tie it into the fact that this couldn't have been the shark that killed the kid because, you know, its jaws weren't big enough. Plus it was somewhere else eating cars at the time. It's like, <laughs> it's the alibi for the shark. And it's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And another thing that I'd never picked up on before as well is Brody's obviously got his issues and Richard Dreyfus comes over to his house to like encourage him to work together and brings like a couple of bottles of wine. And it's like, I didn't know whether I should bring a red or a white. And Brody's got this like huge beaker that he's been drinking orange juice or something out of, and he fills it with red wine. And he just sits yeah. there at the table for the rest of that scene, just drinking this like 500 ml glass of red wine. And that just cracks me up as well. But yeah, it's the little things, I guess, that you watch now. And there's so many little things time. in it. Mm. Like him with his son and just mimicking his son just at the kitchen yep. table. It's just great moments that are just got nothing to do with the giant shark. No. Which, you know, my memory of it was it was all about a giant shark. Yeah. But no. It's but really a, it's, it's not. It's more than that. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, so, that's good. So if you do want to watch the original Jaws, it is on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm not too sure where the 2, 3 and the Revenge are streaming, but I'm sure you could probably find it somewhere. I think I found Jaws 2 on one of the movie streaming sites illegally online. But yeah, if you want to watch it legitimately, if you have Amazon Prime, Jaws, the first one is on there. I would highly recommend cool. it if you haven't. Excellent. All right. Well, that's a nice place for us to wrap it up. So if you do have any feedback for us, you can find us on Facebook. We are facebook.com slash the Massive Attack Podcast. We are the MA Podcast on Twitter. And we are the MA Podcast.podbean.com on our website. And until next month, thank you very much, Mitch. Thank you. And remember to stay out of the water. Bye. Bye.